Everybody glad you're here. I thank God for you. Those joining us online, we love you guys. Man, can't wait till you're here with us. God is good. He is present in your home. He is present in this room. I mean, right here, right now, in the air you breathe. If you're here for the first time, we are delighted that God has brought you. We believe he's up to something good, something special in your life. It's why he has you here. Let me start today. We're closing out a series this week and next week on Romans 12. But let me start with a little culinary uh, survey. How many of you love Chinese food? Okay, this is the eatingest church I've ever seen. Um, my family, it's a Clark favorite. And we get all of our family together. We order egg rolls and crab rangoon, sweet and sour shrimp, Kung Pao chicken, orange chicken, vegetable fried rice, and lots of white rice uh, for the grandkids. Uh, it's like something different for everybody in the family, but there's one thing we all have in common. None of us eat the fortune cookies. Do you, anybody like fortune cookies? You like cardboard? Um, I'm just teasing. Um, but we, we all open the fortunes and read them. I wanted to share some of my favorite with you. Um, okay, here's my favorite. The fortune you seek is in another cookie. Yeah, thanks a lot. If you want to find yourself, play hide and seek alone. Okay. Uh, if you think we're going to sum up your whole life on a little piece of paper, you're crazy. Okay, last one. This is my personal favorite. Pass the bill to the person on your right. Now, <laughs> what if, I mean, the Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. God breathes on him. And he writes to churches in a variety of places. We're in the 12th chapter of the letter he wrote to the church in Rome. And what if he wrote it like a fortune cookie? Let me read you some fortunes that the Apostle Paul has written. There you go. Be ready to help needy Christians. That's one. Here's the second one. Be eager to love people you don't know. I don't even like the people I do know. <laughs> Bless your enemies, even if they are Bear fans. Here's the final one. Don't curse them, your enemies. Pray that God will bless them. Okay. Truth is, those are not fortunes out of fortune cookies. Those are commands in God's word, they aren't options. They aren't suggestions. These are the commands that we find in Romans 12, 13 and 14. Here's our text today. Be ready to help needy Christians. Be eager to love people you don't know. Uh, you didn't know any of the families of the victims of the shooting in Uvalde, but I got confirmation this week in a letter that every dollar of the $11,500 you gave, $500 for each family of victims, every dime went to those families directly. So I thank you. That you love people you don't even know. The text goes on to say, bless your enemies, don't curse them. Pray that God 
will bless them. Now, where does this come from? Where is Paul getting this stuff? I mean, it sounds super uh, challenging to me, maybe impossible. Where's Paul get this stuff? I believe he gets it directly from the teaching of Jesus. I'm going to take you, just to explain, just to show and illustrate, I'm going to take you into two separate texts. So if you're ready, here we go together from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22. Jesus, he's in an encounter with a religious lawyer, and the text begins, an expert in religious law. Now hold that phrase in mind because those exact words are going to pop up in the very next text. But here we go. An expert in religious law tried to trap Jesus with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Now there are 613 commandments in the Jewish law. And this guy hopes to trip Jesus up by asking him for the greatest. He thinks he's throwing a curveball at Jesus' head, but he's just teeing Jesus up for a huge home run. You know what I mean by tee up, don't you? I'm talking about tee ball. Let me show you. He thinks he's throwing a curveball that Jesus can't hit that might hit Jesus, but he's actually just teeing Jesus up. This tee actually belongs to some little girls in our church but they're big girls now and I've grown it, which makes it appropriate for an old man. This is my seven-year-old grandson's wiffle ball bat. So Jesus slashes at the ball and misses. Okay, what am I supposed to do? Keep your eye on the ball. Okay, here's the home run. Oh, did that hit somebody? I don't have a lawyer. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do one more. Um, Maybe I'll find a lawyer before the next home run. So, um, (laughs) okay, I deserve that. Um, When that home run goes flying over the fence, this religious lawyer takes his glove and throws it down on the ground. He kicks dirt on it. But in the outfield, in the outfield beyond the fence, fireworks are going off. And the scoreboard in center field is flashing the words, Love God, love people, because here's the home run Jesus hits. Let me show you. It's called the great commandment. Jesus replied, you must hear. You want to know the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus fires that one over the fence. The lawyer is humiliated, but all the fans begin to cheer, begin to chant, begin to shout, love God, love people. That's the greatest commandment. Love God, love people. If you've ever wondered the purpose of your life, what's the purpose of your life? To love God and love people. The purpose of your marriage? Love God and love people. Why do you have money? To love God and love people. Why are you present? To love God and love people. Let's say that together. I'll say it first. You repeat it after me. We're the fans in the stands. We see it flashing on the scoreboard. We shout out, love God. Love people. One more time. Love God. Love people. That's 
That's more than what we do. That's who we are. We love God. We love people. It, it, it establishes our values, our priorities, how we use our money, how we use our time. Love God. Love people. And as Jesus has taken his home run trot uh, around the bases, this is what happens in the text. I'm pointing at the screen. Okay. After that, no one dared ask Jesus any more questions because he just crushed them. But then, I don't know if it's days later, maybe weeks later, I think this religious attorney shows up to confront Jesus again. Here's Luke chapter 10. Look at how it opens, the very same words, an expert in religious law. He stood up to do what? To trap, to test Jesus by asking him another question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now this guy has learned. Uh, in fact, Jesus, you gotta feel the sarcasm in what Jesus says. Uh, look at the text. Uh, Jesus said, well, you tell me. You tell me, what does scripture say? And look what the man says. Look how the man responds to Jesus. This is why I think it was the same man, the same attorney as before. The, the religious lawyer answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind, uh, all your soul and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, right, right answer. If you do that, you will have eternal life. I mean, if you do that, you will go to heaven. I mean, you, if you do that, you'll have super abundant life right now, if you do that. But can you do that? 24-7, can you love God? And 24-7, can you love people? In every kind of circumstance, in every kind of situation, no matter how deeply you're hurt, no matter how, how horribly life turns against you, love God. Love people. You do that perfectly and you get to go to a perfect heaven ruled by a perfect God. But then, you see this guy, um, he, he, he thinks he's not throwing a curveball at Jesus' head this time. He's throwing a slider low and away so that Jesus can't reach it so that he'll just go down swinging, looking like a, a, a fool. But before we get to another home run, I know you're breathless and you're waiting Let's look back at the Apostle Paul's writing in Romans 12, 13 and 14. Think, love God, love people. Here it is. Here's what Paul writes. Be ready to help needy Christians every, every single time. Every single needy Christian, help them every time. Be eager to love people you don't know. Bless your enemies. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Well, the man talking to Jesus, he wants to justify him. He wants a loophole. He wants to weasel his way into heaven without loving everybody. Here's what happens. In the text, it says, the man wanted to justify his lack of love for some kinds of people. So he asked Jesus, just uh, how would you define neighbor? It's another trick question. He's hoping Jesus can't answer. And if he does answer, it'll give his, him a way out from not loving everybody. So time for another. This is not just a home run. Hey, give these. Oh, you did give that back, didn't you? This is not just a home run. This is going to be a grand slam. I missed it once in the first service too. So 
Now you see I am inept. Keep your eye on the ball, pastor. Yay, didn't hit anybody. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, the home run Jesus hits this time is the story of the Good Samaritan. Most famous story, most well-known story he ever told. I mean, even people who don't go to church have heard of the Good Samaritan. But most people who go to church do not know the true meaning of this story. Here's the grand slam as Jesus told it, the story of the Good Samaritan. A man, now we're gonna figure out exactly who this man is. A man, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves. Okay, you've read the verse, who's the man? The man is me. The man is you. And we get three huge clues that we are identified with this man. Number one, he was going down just like you and I have gone down into sin. From Jerusalem, Jerusalem is 3,000 feet above sea level. Jericho, 14 miles down the road, 1,000 feet below. It's a windy, twisty, steep road. It's a scary road to be on. I've been on it about a half a dozen times. It's a deep drop, 4,000 feet. Just like we have all slid down the slippery slope of temptation into sin. And then he fell, just like Adam and Eve fell in the garden, fell into sin when they disobeyed God. I have fallen into sin. You have fallen into sin. The Bible says everyone has sinned. Everyone, you and me, everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. You see, heaven is a perfect place, ruled by a perfect God. Only perfect people get to go there. And we have all sinned and fallen short of God's Glorious perfection. This guy, he falls among thieves. This guy is us. And Jesus uses the term thief as a metaphor for Satan. Remember John 10, 10? The thief, Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy that's exactly what happens in the story next. Look at the, the story of the Good Samaritan. They, they stripped him of his clothes. That had to be awful. Stripped him of his clothes. Found his money, took his money. Out of a money bout, out of a patch. He's naked. All of his possessions are gone. And then they beat him up. And the force of the Greek verb there is that they beat him up and they beat him up and they beat him up, intending to beat him to death. And they think he's dead. They, they, they leave him in the process. He's in the process of dying. He's half dead. Now, serious, that's what our sin does to us. My sin strips me of my dignity. It's humiliating. Your sin strips you of your hope. You feel like you put your bad, yourself in a bad place by the bad thing you said, the bad thing you did. My sin strips me of my peace. Now I'm all anxiety ridden. Your sin strips you of your joy and you're afraid you'll never be joyful again. And the wages of sin is death. Death. 
We just get beat up, beat up by our own sin. And we're, we're the guy laying by the side of the road. And when we are so damaged by our own sin, we can't look to religion for any kind of help, for any kind of hope, uh, for any kind of healing. Because look what happens next in the story. A priest, a religious priest happened to be going down the same road, but when he saw the man, he walked by on the other side. And that's not all. Later, a, a temple helper, like an assistant priest, came to the same place. And when he saw the man who had been beaten up and beaten up and beaten up, he also went by to the other side. If religion is no help, how do we ever recover from our sins? If religion is no help, how do we ever find forgiveness? Well, this is where Jesus inserts himself in the story, though not very many people recognize him, but here's how the story continues. Then a despised Samaritan came along. A Samaritan was uh, an outcast. A Samaritan was the enemy. He was the ultimate outsider. So he is despised. But look at how the word of God describes Jesus in the book of Isaiah. He was despised and rejected. Jesus is the ultimate outsider. I believe Jesus is the Samaritan in the story. He's telling the story about himself and you and me in our sin. Check it out. The word of God continues. Then a despised Samaritan came along and when he saw the man this is a huge clue that the Samaritan is Jesus. When he saw the man, he had compassion on him. How often do you read that in scripture of Jesus? It is, it is so huge about who Jesus is and what he does. But there are more clues. When he saw the man, he had compassion on him. He goes over to him. You see, compassion isn't just feeling sorry for somebody. It's taking action to make a difference in their lives, in their hurt, to bring the healing, to bring the hope, to bring the help. The Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Now the word there in the Greek for wounds is trauma. Uh, that's our English word. Before we get our English word trauma from this Greek word for wounds, this man is traumatized. It's not just that he has been beaten within an inch of his life. There's something now damaged on the inside something broken. He is traumatized emotionally, mentally, psychologically. He has been damaged on the inside. There's something broken in him, just like there's something broken in me because of sin. Just like there's something broken in you because of sin. Just like everything in this world and everyone in this world is broken. There's something broken in everything and everyone because of sin. But Jesus has compassion on him. And friends, compassion. I don't know what you think of Jesus. I don't know the first word that comes to your mind when you think of Jesus. But compassion is the defining trait of all Jesus is and all Jesus does. He is ever willing to come to you in your hurt, in your need, when you're broken, even if it's by your own sin. Nothing will stop Jesus from getting to you with compassion. So what does it look like 
If Jesus shows compassion to me, I mean, I'm the one who said the sinful thing. I'm the wrong who, one who was hateful and, and hurtful. I'm the one who did the wrong thing. I'm the one who told the lie. What's this compassion going to do for me? What's this compassion going to look like for you? Well, remember, he applied olive oil. Well, olive oil was a symbol for joy and peace and victory. So this Samaritan, the good Jesus, massages olive oil into the wound. He's massaging peace. He comes to you and massages peace and joy into your life. Because in this cleansing, in this massaging, there is full forgiveness of sin. Your past is behind you. You're new. You are being made new. The old is gone. The new has come. But, but you see, this man is not just going to recover there is victory in the olive oil. He's going to be restored to God's best version of him. And that's what God, through Jesus, does for us. Even when we've damaged ourselves or our relationships or our finances or our emotions by our sin, Jesus massages, when he comes in compassion, he massages peace and joy and victory. He restores us to God's best version of us. Well, you just took communion several minutes ago, so you understand about the role of wine in the healing process. The role of the wine was, it, it's the cleansing power of the blood of Christ. It, it, it's more than just having sins forgiven. It, all your guilt and shame, it's washed away, it's, it's cleansed. And, and so Jesus, not only does he massage the olive oil in, into the wound, he pours on the wine so that, so that we are completely cleansed of whatever we've done, whatever we've said, whatever we've thought wrong. But um, what about the bandages? I mean, every traveler in the day of Jesus carried olive oil and wine, but what, where does he get bandages? Not from the guy. All his clothes were stripped from him and stolen. So obviously... This good Jesus must tear up his own clothes to make tourniquets for where the man's bleeding, to cleanse away uh, the wounds, to, to, cloth, to cloth and cover the wounds. See, to me, this is the most beautiful part of the story that Jesus gives us. Well, we, we don't have the power to provide for ourselves. So it was done for this man laying by the side of the road and when it's your marriage that's laying by the side of the road, Jesus uh, gives you, gives your marriage what you can't provide your marriage even on your own. When, when you are emotionally laying at the side of the road, G Jesus gives you hope and joy and peace, emotions you can't provide for yourself. When you're financially laid out and wounded by the side of the road, Jesus gives you what you cannot provide yourself for your finances. But the story's not over. It goes on. He, he, he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he continued to care, continued to show compassion, continued to heal, continued to help. And, and the next day, he gave the innkeeper two silver coins and said, take care of this man. And if you spend more than this on him, I will repay you when, when I return. I, I like that part. Jesus promises to come again. He's coming again. He promises his return. And until he comes, 
I mean, this, this story started, was initiated by a question. How do I get to go to heaven? How do I inherit eternal life? Answer, surrender to the compassion of Jesus. The man laid out by the side of the road, beaten nearly to death. Now, he, when he sees the Samaritan coming at him, he could have resisted him like people resist Jesus today. He could have doubted that this despised Samaritan could be any kind of help to him, just like people doubt that Jesus could be any kind of help to them. Or this man laying by the side of the road could surrender to the compassion of the Samaritan, just like right now you can surrender to the compassion of Jesus. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired Podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and have a great week.